0: The following audio is from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Acts is available at axechurchleander.com. John three twenty six 26-30, follow along uh, in your Bible or we've got it up on the big screen too. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. I want to first, I'll kind of introduce myself a little bit, but I also want to give a a quick uh, affirmation of one of those announcements. Uh, I've been around children that have been on the receiving end on Operation Christmas Child. If you, uh, we live in a cynical world where it's very easy to be like, oh, I wonder if this organization really represents this or if this or that. The impact that those boxes can have on a kid's life is real. And so I just really encourage you, if you have not already picked one up or if you're thinking about it and aren't sure, I really encourage you, be a part of it. You'll receive some blessings, but there's going to be unseen blessings across this world that are are going to have huge ramifications. And So I just encourage you, I just give that as a selfless plug. Uh, You guys are doing something really cool with that, so I want to encourage that in all of you. Commercial over. Good morning. Uh, My name is Kyle Frazier. I am on staff at Axe Church Lakeway. Uh, My title is Missionary of Discipleship. I've been serving there uh, for about three years and change Uh, which means three years and change. I'm officially a local Austinite, I think, at that time frame. Uh, If you hit the three-year mark, you've been here longer than, like, 90% of the population. Um, I moved out here from Southern California. I apologize. Uh... My wife and two kids came with me, so uh, my son, Henry, is uh, eight years old. He's in third grade. We actually live in Cedar Park, so not too far from here. He goes to Giddens Elementary, and my daughter, Maria, just started sixth grade over at Running Brushy. So uh, we are much more local to you guys than the church that I serve at, so the commute today was great, all right? I'm really, I mean, Bullock and Valente is beautiful, but like, this was way better, um, so uh, I, I'm really excited to be here with you guys. I'm also excited to kind of finish off this season that you've been in with guest speakers. Uh, I want to give uh, just a ton of affirmation to your guys' leadership, uh, both your staff, uh, your lay leadership, and all of you that are here today. Uh, this transition period that you guys have been going through since about March time frame, uh, as someone that has a vested interest in the Axe Church Network and a vested interest in the success of Axe Church Lander, I want to affirm all of your guys' leadership and all of you guys for being a part of this and staying a part of this, for continuing to push forward. And uh, I'm so glad that the Millers are almost here. I don't know if saying they're almost in town is like a threat of like, Kyle, bring it today, because they could step in at any moment. Um, but the, the next level that you guys are going to be able to go to because of their presence and because of the way God's already used you guys, it is really, really amazing. And I'm excited to see what this next season looks like for all of you guys. We, across the network, have been in a series called Sola. All right, you can see the title on there. Um, And it is to celebrate the Reformation and to celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Because 500 years ago, the church kind of went through uh, this season of reclaiming what faith is all about. Uh, the church had kind of fallen away from what God originally intended and for what the teachings of God were originally set up for, and it kind of fallen into this new realm that was taking everyone away from the core belief that we are called to have. So the Reformation was about reclaiming and reforming ourselves around these five concepts, uh, and, and they're represented in the phrase sola, which means alone. So sola gratia means grace alone, sola fide means faith alone. Uh, Soli Deo Gloria means glory to God alone. Sola Scriptura means scripture alone. And today we celebrate Sola Christus, which means Christ alone. Uh, Today is the day that we celebrate the Reformation. Today is the day that we celebrate uh, Christ alone, because it is Christ and Christ alone that provides us salvation. It is Christ and Christ alone that provides us eternity. It is Christ and Christ alone that is uh, where all of our hope should rest in because Christ is real, Christ is present, and Christ is powerful. Uh, You guys got to celebrate uh, the Reformation as only Lutherans can, with bounce houses, brats, and beer. Uh, So congrats on that. You guys are signed off. But really, today is what we're all building towards. It is Christ that we get to celebrate. It is Christ that we get to hear. It is Christ that we get to receive. And it's Christ that we then get to live out. So let's go to God in prayer before we get too much further. Uh, dear God and Heavenly Father, we come before you today just humbled by your love and your grace that is shown to us over and over again through your Son, uh, through his death on a cross, through his resurrection and conquering sin, death, and the devil. Lord God, we pray for open hearts and open minds today, that we can hear your words, that we can receive your words, and then we can leave here living out your words. Lord God, we thank you for everyone that is gathered here. We thank you for the chance that we are in community with one another, that we are not in this alone. Uh, we are in this together as a family, but we are also in this together with you for God. We pray all these things, and all God's people said, amen. I did a good prayer. The AC kicked on. All right. Uh, I want to. We're going to be bouncing around a little bit. We're going to get to those verses that we just read uh, from John the Baptist uh, here in just a little bit. I'm going to kind of read the last verse in that because that's going to be a key thing that I want you to hold on to, and then we're going to bounce around a little bit. But it says this: John the Baptist uh, at the finish of that section says, "He must increase; he being Jesus Christ must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase; Christ must increase; I must decrease." All right, That is a very, very important concept for us to understand. When we look at Christ and Christ alone as our salvation, alone as our refuge, it is an understanding that He must increase in our lives and we must decrease. All right, So we're going to get back to that here in just a little bit, but I want you guys, if you have a Bible with you, whether it's through uh, an app, whether it's through digital, whether it's through a physical Bible, open up to the book of Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35. Now, Mark 4, 35, this is a famous story. You guys probably heard some variation of it before, at least heard the concept of it. But this is uh, the the miracle of Jesus calming the storm. And this is uh, one of, if not my favorite story throughout all of Scripture, because I think there's so much deep context to it and so much richness that we can pull from to understand who Jesus Christ truly is. And then not only who Jesus Christ is, but how he relates to us in our everyday life. Because if we just analyze, oh, this is a biography of Jesus, that's great. But if it has no bearing on our lives, then what really are we studying? All right? So we're going to dig deep into this story, and we're going to start, we're just going to kind of break it down verse by verse. And the first verse in this section, verse 35, says this, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. All right, so if you look at the verses before this, Jesus had just finished up all of these different teachings that he was giving. If you look uh, throughout chapter 4 leading up to this point, he's giving all these different parables and all these different teachings, and he's teaching all these people uh, from like kind of the banks uh, of the Sea of Galilee, and he's showing them all of these new ways that we are called to live. He's giving them all of this new information. And he's putting everything into context and saying this is a new life that you can have. So he finishes up his teaching. It's now nighttime, and they are on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus says, let's go to the other side, all right? Now, two things. Number one, we have to understand where he is starting from. He is starting from the west side of the Sea of Galilee. This side is predominantly Jewish, all right? So what he is teaching to, he is teaching to a known audience. These are the people that already know what he is saying. They already know his teaching, or at least know the concept of him, and he's giving them new, uh, a kind of a new twist on it and new information, he wants to go to the east side of the Sea of Galilee. That's about an eight-mile trek from one side to the X. And on the east side is the Gentiles. These are the people that uh, were originally we thought, the Jews, that's the family of God. Those are his chosen people. And what Christ is coming in and saying is, hey, there's this new group that's going to be ushered in. And because I am here, we are going to break down the walls, and we're going to break down all these barriers, and the family's about to grow. So I need to teach you guys on the west... And then now what I need to do is we need to go over to the east. There's this understanding of there's the known family of God. There's those that are already insiders to it. But there is always an understanding and a knowledge that when Jesus Christ comes into the fold, it's also about those that don't yet know Christ. We in the church have a tendency to focus on those that can kind of speak our language and know the inside jokes and the secret handshakes and all that kind of stuff. All right? But there's this other side Of the lake, And there's this other group over here that we are called to reach out to, and those are the lost. Those are those that do not yet know. And that is always Christ's heart, is the lost. You look at the parable of the lost sheep. You look at the parable of the lost coin. You look at his way of going after the outsiders over and over and over again, and there's this understanding that it's not just about those inside the family. It's about taking those outside and bringing them in. And that's what he wants to do. So he's saying, we're going to go from the west over to the east side— and he tells them, let us go across. All right, so he's saying, I'm not going to go across. He's not saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch a, you know, an Uber boat and just cruise over to the other side. Well, let's go as a group. So then he continues on in verse 36. It says, and leaving the crowd, so there's this crowd that had gathered that was hearing all of Jesus' words. They're going to leave this crowd. They, that's an important word, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. So they is representative of the disciples, all right? The disciples who have been following Jesus for a short period of time now have been listening to his words, have been hearing his message. They are gonna go across the lake. This is the Sea of Galilee, and this is also important. If you look at Mark chapter one, if you wanna skip back there, that's cool. If not, I'll just read it for you guys. Mark chapter one, verse 16. And this puts all of this in, in some more context. Jesus is walking, and it says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, so the same body of water, the same spot, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now these two men become part of the they in this verse 36. It's important to know there were people on this boat as they were traveling that were fishermen, meaning they were experienced boat people. I don't know if it's sailing at this point. I don't know what you technically call them. We'll call them boat folk, all right? There's some boat folk on the boat, all right? Which is a good thing when you're on a boat is to have boat folk. Uh, so, there's some people that are experienced on boats and specifically experienced on traveling by boat on this body of water. Those people are in this boat along with Jesus and along with the other disciples. It's important to understand that level of experience because a lot of times what we do is we put faith in experience. We put faith in the idea of, I have seen this before. All right, uh, I, I'm a huge sports fan. All right, like to a Semi-dangerous level, all right? I'll acknowledge that. In uh, and, and a lot of team sports, there's this idea or there's this concept of the crafty veteran. And the crafty veteran is someone who might not be as fast, who might uh, not be as strong, who might not be as gifted athletically as they once were or as the other people on the team, but the crafty veteran can use their experience because they've seen it all before, and that gives them an edge on the competition, all right? They got some crafty veterans in the boat with them. So everything should be fine. It's only eight miles. It's on a body of water where you have some experienced boat folk ready to take them across from the west to the east. Everything should be fine. But then verse 37 says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Now, we have the experienced people uh, on this body of water, but here's what is really important to understand even more about the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is uh, inland from the Mediterranean Sea, and what will happen is cold air will come off the Mediterranean Sea, will kind of hit this mountain range that is, that is right to the west of the Sea of Galilee, and then kind of go over that, get even colder, and then hit the Sea of Galilee. Now, once it hits the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee is below sea level, all right? Uh, it is below sea level, and it tries to keep traveling, but there's kind of another uh, elevation on the other side. There's like another mountain range. And that kind of keeps that cold air hovering right over the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee, because of its location, has warm air coming off of the water. So what happens when warm air fights with cold air? Storms, all right? That's that's important to understand. Based on the geography that they are around, based on the location that they are at, the location that these fishermen had experience in, storms are a regular occurrence. They happen all the time. They happen all the time. All right? Uh, When I lived in Southern California, I had a a friend of mine that would drive out uh, to the Phoenix area during monsoon season, and he just was enamored with uh, lightning storms and heavy rain and all that kind of stuff. I grew up in San Diego. The only weather I know is 75. All right? So that stuff is terrifying to me, but he loved it. He had been so used to it, and I'd be like, Tom, aren't you scared of the storms you're going to face? He goes, no, I've been in them all. I've seen them all. They're great. They're wonderful. This level of confidence that comes with this experience of facing these storms. So if on the Sea of Galilee there is a regular occurrence of storms, and it is a regular occurrence for the fishermen of the Sea of Galilee to be caught in those storms, one would reason having those guys on the boat would keep everyone in check, would keep everything calm. But there's something interesting about this storm, because this storm is above all those other storms. Now, when you think about storms in relationship to our lives, there are physical storms. I remember moving out here to Texas in the first just lightning storm, all right? That was horrific. There was like just lightning, and there was silence, and I didn't know what to do. I just curled under my covers and cried like a little girl. Um, But these guys should be able to handle all of this, except for the fact that this storm is greater than anything they have ever experienced before. The volume of this storm, the way the waves are crashing over them, the, the, the ferocity of this storm has causing them to stress. We see that in verse 38. So there's two responses. There's the response of the disciples and there's the response of Jesus Christ. And look how different they are. Verse 38 says this, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now let's look at the response of the disciples, which include experienced fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. It is not, we might perish. It is, I'm nervous we might perish. It is not, hey Jesus, I got some anxiety going on. It is doom and gloom. It is definitive. We are about to die. There is no hope to be found. Don't you care that death is knocking on the door? So you have someone in absolute hysterics, And what is Jesus doing while all this is happening? He's taking a nap. All right? There are two times in my life that I'm guaranteed to take a nap. Two times. Number one is when I go and see a movie with my kids. All right? I love taking my kids to the movies because I get about an hour and a half of solid sleep. It is the perfect temperature in the room. It's dark. The seats are comfortable. And we, uh, the end of the movie hits, and I tell my kids, hey, Henry, Maria, how was the movie? They say, great. Dad, how was your nap? I say, great, and we leave. It is a great system we have worked out. All right? So I'm a lock for a nap there. I'm also a lock for a nap later this afternoon. It's going to be a good day. Sunday afternoons are a perfect napping day. There's this exhaustion that kind of can come from teaching, and especially when you're teaching in front of a bunch of people, and that's what Jesus just did. So there's this finite element of Jesus that he is able to sleep based on all the teaching that he just did. He knows, hey, I need to get from this side to this side, but in the meantime, I'm going to get a little nap. And he's only able to do that because he's able to stay calm. I am incapable of napping or sleeping when I am stressed. I'm incapable of, of getting a good deep sleep in when I have anxiety going on. We see Jesus, and He is not only asleep, but He is deep asleep, because He does not have a care in the world. You have these two differences going on where you have Jesus who is completely calm in the face of this storm, and you have the disciples who are completely terrified and doom and gloom in the face of the exact same storm. And there's this interesting thing that's happening when you look specifically at the disciples that are fishermen. Because in the midst of this storm, they can no longer rely on their experience, on their knowledge, their own skill or talent to get through it. Based on themselves, they have nothing to face this storm with. But you have Jesus who is completely at peace and completely calm in the face of this giant storm verse 39 hits, and he says, And he awoke, being Jesus, and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever almost sunk a boat before. All right. You guys are much more responsive. The 930 crowd, there was a ton of hands up. I was very nervous by the amount of hands that were raised at 930. Uh, I have almost sunk a boat before. And it is not easy to do, all right, even to almost sink a boat. Uh, when I was in college, I worked at a, a camp up in Northern California. We were a houseboat camp. So what we would do is we had all these houseboats, and y- church youth groups would come up, and they'd come up for a week, and we would have all these kids live on these houseboats, and we'd take them out water skiing and wakeboarding and tubing and all this kind of stuff. And it was a great, great, great opportunity for someone in their late teens, early 20s. And it was a greater on the weekend because then we got to take the boats out and have a lot of fun which when I'm 19, 20, 21, sounds like a great idea. Now as I'm an adult, I'm thinking, why was anyone giving us keys to a boat at 19, 20, and 21? Um, so we were out, and this was towards the end of our summer, and uh, we were out on, a, on the weekend, and I was pulling a couple of uh, uh, my uh, fellow counselors on tubes. And uh, I was driving around, and I'd gotten pretty good by the end of the summer on how to make some good-sized wakes. And I'd keep it in check during the week because I would be, towing, you know, seventh graders that are, you know, 30 pounds, and I don't want to get sued, so I will give them nice little bumps. But then, weekends hit, and there's adults getting towed, and all bets are off, all right? So, we're flooring it. We're doing everything we got. And, and I'm, I'm towing these two, these two people behind... And uh, I know I'm hitting this wake really good, and I hear, oh, my gosh, and like a joyous one. And I turn around, and I see these two people flying. And I'm like, this is so great. This is the best day ever. And then I turn, and I now see the three wakes that are about to hit. And I panic and just let go. Not a good idea, all right? And what winds up happening is the nose of the boat dives down to the base of three consecutive wakes, and water goes over the entire front end of the boat, over the windshield, over my head, and fills this boat. All right, we got about two and a half, three feet of water just inside the boat. All right, and there's three of us in the boat. I'm sitting there just completely paralyzed in fear and anxiety that I have to buy this boat that is going to be sunk to the bottom of Lake Shasta. I have one person behind me that in just whatever panic-stricken phase they're in just starts doing this, (laughs) thinking they can get all of the water out of the boat. The third person, I look around, they jump out the boat and just start swimming for shore. They have completely bailed on the entire situation all together, all right? Uh, there is this terrifying feeling when you are faced with a boat that, it, that is about to sink. You are paralyzed in fear, or you're going to bail on everyone and swim for shore. Jesus, though, does this. This boat is bringing on water. The storm is crashing all around him. The waves are, are just coming into the boat. The experienced boat folk have no clue what to do, and Jesus stands up and he says, peace be still. And immediately the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. In the face of certain doom, in the face of certain death, in the face of certain troubled in the face of certain pain, in the face of certain uh, difficulties, in the face of all of this stuff that surrounds us that we are incapable of handling on our own, that we either cut rope and bail on everyone, that we feel like, oh, we can do something about it. When we just get paralyzed by fear, Jesus comes into the situation and Christ says, peace be still. And he saves them when they could not save themselves in the same way he saves us when we are incapable of saving ourselves. Those three words, peace, be still, were powerful in that moment because it calmed a storm but can be powerful in our lives too because it can calm a storm. Whatever stress, whatever anxiety, whatever pain or hurt we are going through right now, whatever uh, situation that is just overwhelming us that we have no idea what to do with it, understand that uh, Jesus Christ is speaking into that and saying, peace, be still. And he can say that because he has complete confidence because he is all-powerful and he is there with you. You see, what's interesting is Jesus didn't say, hey, why don't you guys go across the lake? I'm going to do a little uh, loop around. I'll take the scenic route, and I'll just meet you on the other side. He chose to be in the boat with them. And the storms and difficulties of lives will hit, and they will hit to great deals that we've never dealt with before. There are storms that we can manage, or storms that we can kind of force our way through, and then there are storms where the big one hits and we don't know what to do. But we need to understand, number one, Jesus is in that boat, and number two, he is speaking these words, peace be still. And he continues on in verse 40, he says, he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Because ultimately what it becomes is a question of faith. Specifically, what or who are you putting your faith to? in. We have a tendency to put our own faith in ourselves in times of difficulty. We take on more control. We become that person that's just trying to splash water out of the boat to save ourselves. We rely on our experience or our knowledge or or our, our, our possessions or whatever it might be around us, and we feel like we, if we just take more control, if it becomes more about me in this circumstance, I can rescue myself. And the true calling of a follower of Jesus Christ is to say it is not about you. You must decrease so that the power of Christ may increase. It is about less of you and more of them, because what you have will not get you through these big storms. What you have will not get you through the big problems and troubles of life. But what you do have is access to Jesus Christ, who will. You have a Savior that is saying, peace, be still. And then verse 41 says, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's odd, but what Christ did was so great that they aren't sure what to do. They're just kind of paralyzed by all of this. They were saved in spite of their failing as a follower, because what they should have done first is woken up Jesus Christ and said, Jesus, save us from all of this. Save us from this imminent doom. And instead what they said was, Jesus, let me tell you how bad it is. Let me tell you that it is already over. It is already finished. There is no way that this situation could be redeemed in any way, shape, or form. And what Jesus says is, no, I know how bad it is. I'm not demeaning you. I'm not putting you down. I'm not saying it's not difficult or a struggle, or I'm not saying that it is not something to be feared. But what I am saying is my power is greater than all of that. And the peace that I can promise you is greater than that. So then we continue on, or we jump back to John 3, and these were the words that were read earlier, 26 to 30. It says this, And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness? Look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. So they're saying, John, it's no longer about you. He's making it about him. But John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride uh, is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore this joy is mine of mine is now complete. And he says this, he must increase but I must decrease. The disciples were powerless until Christ came in and saved them. Christ alone can save. It is not ourselves, it is not our ability, it is Christ alone that can save. John the Baptist recognized this. He modeled this for his followers. He said, these great things that I've done are nothing in comparison to what Christ is due. Everything I have done is just merely to point to Christ and say, he is the one that can save. And this is a model behavior that we have for us, is the understanding that Christ alone can save, so Christ alone should receive the glory. We must decrease. Our own power is paling in comparison to his. And we reach this realization that through storms, difficult times, things that are overwhelming us, we can only survive through the power of Christ. On our own power, I can improve my life. I can make things kind of happen, and I can make some comfort exist in my world. I can improve our lives, but only Christ and Christ alone can save our lives. And once we came to, come to a recognition of that, that Christ and Christ alone can save, there's this really cool part to the story of the storm that happens. You see, Jesus was saying, we need to go from this side of the sea to this side of the sea. We need to go from those that already have a knowledge of me to those that do not yet have a knowledge of me. But somewhere in the middle, something big happens and something painful happens and something hurtful happens. And those disciples have this moment where they're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and I'm sure they had this kind of secret discussion, whether it was inside their own head or with one another, and they were kind of trying to figure out, what do we do now? We're signing up for something that's going to be difficult, that's going to be hard. What do we do? Do we cut bait? And we look at Mark chapter 5, verse 1, and it says, they came to the other side of the sea. And that's where the story continues on. They kept going. But they kept going with a new understanding that when Christ says, peace be still. When Christ says, I have this, when Christ says, I am in control, I will take care of you. I will be there by your side. I will not leave you in the face of these storms. I will never forsake you. I will face all of these with you, and I will use my power so that you, you may be okay. But you need to continue on. You need to push through, and you need to persevere. There are storms in this world that are very real. There are storms in this world that are very painful and difficult to go through but Christ and Christ alone will see us through them, will see us to that other side. Let's pray. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we come before you right now just thanking you that through the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, through his saving work where he was able to conquer sin, death, and the devil, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection from the grave, uh, we have eternity promised with you. Lord God, uh, we come before you right now knowing that we are broken, knowing that we are in need of your grace and your forgiveness, but we also know that you are a God that is offering that grace and forgiveness to us and free of charge. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the community we get to belong to, that we get to face the storms of this world, not by ourselves, but in community with one another, as we focus on being in community with you. Lord God, we thank you for this ministry that we get to be a part of, this ministry that you have called us to, and this family that you have placed us in. pray all this in your name. Amen.